Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. It's good to see you here this morning. And as you make your way to Matthew 15, let me pray for our time together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, as we... I I don't know about anybody else in the room. I suspect I'm not the only one, but but there is a a feeling, a a sense deep in my heart as as I sing of of the inconsistency of my own life with the words that I'm singing. And Lord, it's an indication that my greatest need, my greatest problem is that my heart, my heart loves other things besides you. My will desires to do other things besides your will. Lord, when we think about how we've fallen short in the past days, God, it's easy to, to come to the time of the preaching after, after singing songs where we recognize a little bit of the inconsistency of our words and our actions and to feel unworthy. God, help us to see how that while that's true, God, that puts us at the focus of, of this time of worship. And God, our focus is to be on you. God, to hear the assurance of pardon through Jesus Christ. To know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That as we read, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, as we study this text this morning, help us to see that However, we have lived this past week, however we've fallen short, God, whether, whether we have completely blown it in so many ways or, or we've struggled with, with little things that, that we feel we should have victory over, Lord, help us to see how our hope is not in our performance, but our hope is in a God who loves us so much that He sent His Son. And Jesus, You came. And died in our place that we might have life. Bless this time as we study your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 15. And I don't know if you've ever experienced the frustration I suspect you have. But there are problems that are easy to identify and fix. And then there are more difficult ones. External problems are usually easy to identify and fix. If you think about your car... If you see a ding or a scratch or if it looks dirty and needs to be washed, that's an external problem that's fairly easy to fix. It gets more difficult, however, when the check engine light comes on, correct? And it's something internal or it starts making that noise that you have to have the skill set of that guy from Police Academy movies to describe the sound the engine's making, right? You have to be like a professional voice artist and you go to the mechanic and You do your best to imitate it, right? It's much more difficult to diagnose uh, an internal problem. 
when there's a, a deeper problem. And if it's the same is true with your body, is it not? When, when you get a cut or a scrape, that's fairly easy to address and fix and mend. But if it's an internal problem, if it's a sickness, an illness, or something uh, internal in your body, uh, it can be more difficult. And what happens when we have these difficult internal problems is oftentimes it's something we can't see. And because we can't see it, we do our very best to address it. And we'll create whole systems, whole uh, uh, logical arguments to address the problem that really don't work. I think about what happened during the American Revolution. Did you know that during the American Revolution, what many field medics and physicians thought was the cause of fever? Friction. Friction. Now, follow the logic here, okay? They thought that the friction was caused by too much blood in the body. Your body was producing too much blood, and the heart was having to work harder, so it's pumping faster. So your heart's pumping faster, the blood is moving faster, and there's too much blood, so it's causing friction. And what happens when you have friction? What do you get with friction? Heat, right? The logic is sound, but that's not what causes fever, is it? Right? So they had this understanding, and what they would do to address it was called bloodletting, which is just a, a very polite and maybe church way of saying they drain people of blood. If the, the argument is, if you have too much blood and that's what's causing a fever, then in order to reduce the fever, what would you do? Get rid of some of the blood, right? So they would bloodlet, they would let some of the blood out. Now, it worked sometimes. And it would even work temporarily. But the fever would return. And so this, this internal problem of a fever was something that they had created this whole external system and, and logic to address an internal problem. And last week we saw that Jesus, he does something where he addresses physical needs. He addresses external needs. He heals people who are sick, and he does it miraculously. And some of these needs indeed were internal, but I think there's a parallel here between physical, external cuts and bruises and scrapes and needs, and then internal, difficult to see. When it comes to the body, that's true, but it also comes, it's true of us as people. We have physical needs, we have physical maladies, but we must be aware also of our spiritual need, our internal need. And last week, we saw Jesus addressing physical needs. We talked about how Jesus was God coming to save his people through grace and power and how he demonstrates that and being gracious and, and healing in a powerful way. But this week, we shift gears to focus uh, once again, on the Pharisees as they interact with Jesus. And in the last two times in Matthew, we saw that Jesus, he shows grace, he shows power. He shows grace and power in the disciples' failings, grace and power with the crowds. But this week, we come in contact with a group of people who, who are addressing a physical problem, or excuse me, a, a, a spiritual need with a physical 
solution. And so the question I want you to think about as we, we get into the text is this. Are physical needs our greatest needs? And is an external remedy the solution? Is our greatest need an external physical need? And if not, if we have something deeper, something greater than a physical need, can a physical solution remedy it? When we look in Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus encounter with the Pharisees. He teaches and responds to their criticism. And then he teaches the crowd and the disciples why he says what he says. So let's look at verse 1 and, and set the stage a bit. It says, then, so a little time after the, the healings, but Matthew puts the, the healings and this, uh, this account right after it for a reason. He's just healed physically. Now we're going to talk about what it means to need a different kind of healing. He says, then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, they're accusing the disciples. I want you to pay attention to this phrase. He says, the, the Pharisees say, why do your disciples break the what? Tradition belonging to whom? The elders. Now, this tradition that is being referred to is a tradition of oral teaching that's being passed down from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would equate this with the Word of God. That you have the written Word of God and then you have the oral teachings. You have the written law and the oral law. And the Pharisees considered themselves the, the, uh, you know, the entrusted party for passing on these oral teachings. And they were just as, as valid. So... Think of it this way, uh, Exodus and the oral teachings of the Pharisees were on the same level. And on that level, they put this tradition that you needed to wash your hands before you eat. So this tradition by Jesus' time was transmitted orally and it was authoritative. It eventually is, is written down around A.D. 200 or so. But look how Jesus responds to this. What does he say in verse 3? Now, Jesus is God. He is God in flesh. But can we all just acknowledge what Jesus is about to say? Look at what he says. He says, and he answers. So they say, why do you break the tradition of the elders? And he says, why do you break the God's commandment? What a burn. <laughs> right? They come to Jesus and say, why do they break the traditions of the elders? And he goes, why do you break the word of God? What does he say? He says, why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition, right? So Jesus just lays into them. But look at what he says in verse 4. It's not just God's... It, 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 he's not just... He, he, first of all, he's separating the levels here, Okay. He says, your tradition, but then God's commandment. Those are not the same. But then he also says, for God said. So he acknowledges, number one, what he's about to quote comes from the mouth of God. And it's going to come out of Exodus. So Jesus is reading Exodus and he's saying, God said. 
But he's talking about God's law. Why do you break God's commandment? What God has explicitly said. And what did he say? He quotes Exodus 20, 11. For God said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. Then verse 5. There's an, an emphasis here. He goes, but you. You say. Whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. So Jesus says, your own tradition violates the word of God because you say that if a son says to his father and his mother, whatever benefit you gain from me, give it to the temple. Now they are absolved from their entire life of having to honor their father and mother. Jesus is saying, you break the commandments of God. Look at what he says. In this way, how? By your tradition, you have nullified the word of God. That word nullified means you have made void. Understand the severity of that statement, right? First of all, we know Isaiah, right? My word does not return void. Isaiah 55, it does not return without accomplishing that which I have sent it. My word does not return void. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, you make void the word of God by your tradition. Now that's a serious charge. He says, in this way, you've nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Jesus says, because you so value this tradition, you actually negate the teachings of scripture then he says in verse 7 hypocrites he calls them hypocrites and this word was a word that was used in in jesus's day and before that for a role player for a play actor it was used for people who were on the the dramatic stage and and would be playing a part And so the charge of Jesus is that you make a show of your devotion to God, but your religious traditions take precedence over what God has clearly said. In your desire to prove how holy you are, you actually go against the teachings of the God you claim to worship. That's why he calls them hypocrites. Now, look at what he says next. It says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. When he said what? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. So the Pharisees thought they had received this ancient tradition, and they did. They received a tradition. It's true. Jesus says the tradition they've inherited is the tradition that goes back to when God's people worshipped in vain and honored God with their lips but not with their hearts. So yes, Pharisees, you do have a tradition. It's the tradition of Isaiah 29, 13. Your heart being far from me, worshipping me in vain, and teaching as doctrines human commands. So Jesus is not playing around here. He is not playing around. In fact, Jesus is saying that this is nothing new. Uh, I I love what one uh, commentator, 
when he talks about Jesus quoting Isaiah 29, he says the burden of the scripture Jesus quotes is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had displaced the true religion of the heart. They've, they've emptied it out with a religion of the form. They have the form of godliness, but denying the power. Therefore, their worship is in vain and their teachings. Notice what Jesus says, verse 9. They worship me in vain, how? Teaching as doctrines, human commands. So do you see? What, let's go back to what the command was. What was it? Wash your hands before you eat. That is on the same level as honor your father and mother. You shall not commit adultery. All of those other commands. And so, as much as, I mean, this is a serious charge, but, but the one that sticks out to me in verse 8 is their heart is far from me. They look the part, they play the part, but their heart is far from God. So, what are the Pharisees proposing? They're proposing an external solution. Their external solution is that do these commands that the Pharisees command. Wash your hands. That way you may be clean. But Jesus takes this and he says, well, that's, that's teaching a human doctrine as divine scripture. And then in verse 10, he gets the crowd together and he's going to explain why this doesn't work. He says, listen and understand to the crowd. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Now, Jesus right here is getting at the very heart of the issue. The issue with the disciples, the issue with the Pharisees, and the issue with you and I is that not what we put in, but what comes out. Now, I love what the disciples say in verse 12. They, the disciples come up to him and say to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? I think Jesus knew. <laughs> Not just because he's omniscient and he knows all things. I don't think that they would have been able to contain their displeasure with what Jesus is saying about them. That your heart is far from me. You worship me in vain. Right? Right? He calls them hypocrites. But what does Jesus reply? He says, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. And what he's saying there is, essentially, it's like what they say in Acts. is If the movement is not of God, it will falter and it will fail. Jesus says, every plant that is not planted by the Father, that is not a work of God, it will ultimately perish. So leave them alone. He calls them blind guides. And the blind guide the blind into a pit. So let's stop right here. The external solution proposed by the Pharisees is like the blind leading the blind. It ends in destruction. It ends in perishing. But not only that, 
It is not God's plan. Jesus is saying the solution to whatever problem he's getting ready to identify is not something that can be merely applied externally. So Peter, who's a little confused, in verse 15 says, explain this parable to us. Jesus says in verse 16, do you still lack understanding, he asked. Verse 17, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Now here's where we need to pay attention. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. The problem is not an external problem. The problem is not that we have dirty hands. The problem is that we have dirty hearts. He says what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and this defiles a person. How can Jesus say that? He says, just look at what comes from the heart. Look at verse 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. How many is that? Seven. And what is the number seven? Perfect. Jesus is, is making a very clear statement here. The issue is not that our hands aren't clean when we eat. The issue is our hearts are perfectly and completely unclean. What comes out of our heart are the types of things that Jesus lists. And then look at verse 20. These are the things that defile the person. It's not that you don't wash your hands that you're defiled. It's because what's in your heart. So here's the thing. No matter how many times you wash your hands, no matter how many times you try to clean, you think about that scene You've probably seen either read it in Shakespeare or it's in, you know, where, where there's blood on the hands and the blood won't come out no matter how many times you wash it. The issue is not that you are unclean externally. It's that you have something within you that makes you defiled. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, Jesus says, eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person, but it's what comes out of us. So immediately, now you know that you cannot find the answer and the solution within yourself. You, if you try to find the solution to your defilement within yourself, that's that's drinking from a poisoned well. How can the same heart, the same spring that produces these evil thoughts, these murders, adulteries, thefts, and slander also be the, the place where we find goodness and righteousness and perfection? You can't. So we remember our question. Is our greatest need a physical need? Well, I think we can say definitively, no. Our greatest need is not a physical need. Listen, your greatest need when it comes to your standing with Jesus 
is not the host of things that you might struggle with, your physical needs. And I understand what they may be. Your greatest need is not your physical impairment. Your greatest need is not your poverty. Your greatest need is not your situation in your life. Your greatest need is that you have a defiled heart. You say, I don't think my heart's that bad. Well, notice how Jesus, you might say, I, well, I've never, I've never murdered, never committed adultery, never, I, I, to the best of my, my knowledge, I've never stolen anything. Well, well, let's just look at a couple of evil thoughts. You ever had one evil thought? You ever wished harm on one person ever in your entire life? Have you ever wished that something good was taken from a person in your entire life? Oh, what about false testimonies? You ever lied? Just one. Ever told one lie? What about slander? You ever said anything about a person that wasn't untrue? Well, maybe you've never done that, but has anybody ever said something untrue about you? Well, they have a defiled heart, and I'll let you in on a secret. You have one too. So our greatest need, we saw Jesus healing the sick. And he does that because he's good and gracious. But Jesus did not come just to heal the sick. He did not come just to, to put a new coat of paint on our external problems. He came because we need an internal solution to our internal problem. So where do we look? Well, the Pharisees looked to external solutions. They tried to get the solution to go from skin deep inward, right? That, that external cleansing somehow penetrated, but Jesus says that doesn't work. And we do much of the same today. You might say, I, I, I understand I've done some bad things. I've maybe not been a great, you know, I, 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 maybe I've lied a little bit. I've stolen a little bit, but by and large, I'm a good person I, I try to live a good life. I try, I try to be you know, nice to other people. I try to do all these things. What you're doing is attempting to make an external solution, the solution to an internal problem. The problem with that is what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 3. He says, he talks about the law could not do something. He talks about the law being powerless, being impotent, being unable to cleanse. And how does Romans 8 start? Verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, right? The issue with an external solution is that we've seen what that does. That's what the law is. The law is God giving us things that we could do. And if we, had, if we did it perfectly, we would be righteous and not defiled. But the problem with the law is, is it is an external solution that reveals our internal problem. The law tells us we shall have no other gods before him, but we go and walk in our idolatry. 
It tells us that we should honor and father and mother, and we don't. It tells us that we should honor God by remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy and trusting God, but we work ourselves to death as if it all depends on us. We should not bear false witness against our neighbors, but we lie all the time. We should not covet, but we're never content with what we have, and we should not commit adultery. But we still keep looking at those things we shouldn't look at. And we still keep desiring others that are not our spouses. And, and we keep relishing in, the, in those dreams and fantasies that we might have. You see, the law reveals that an external solution is not the solution to our internal problem. And that's why I love what we read in Romans 1, 16 and 17. If the law cannot save us. If an external solution cannot save us, we need an internal work. We need something that addresses the defilement of our heart. And what does Paul say in Romans 1.16? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The law, we said, Romans 8.3, the law is powerless and unable to save. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God for salvation. God's answer. The reason Jesus came was so that we might hear a gospel. Good news that our internal sinfulness can be dealt with. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. He never sins. He never disobeys God. And he goes to a cross willingly. And he is crucified in our place. Bearing the judgment that we deserve. Proverbs 10 verse 16. Go look it up. Proverbs 10 verse 16. The reward of the righteous is life. But the wages of the wicked is punishment. The reward of the righteous is life, but the wages of the wicked is punishment. What we deserve for our sin is punishment, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve for our defiled hearts. But Jesus dies in our place. He takes the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And he's buried and he rises again three days later. And then now, that good news goes out. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died in your place. Jesus Christ did everything for you to be saved. Romans 1.17 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God's salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Right? In it, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith for faith. Just as it is said, what? The righteous shall live by faith. So Jesus has said that we're defiled, and because we're defiled, we're unrighteous. Proverbs 10.16, the, the wages of the wicked is punishment. 
But then we hear about Jesus who took that punishment for us and that we can have his righteousness given to us. How? Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. So if we have an internal problem, what's the solution? The solution you need to understand this morning is that it is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are washed clean and you are declared righteous by a holy God. And now, Proverbs 10, 16, the reward of the righteous is life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So we have an external solution to the problem, but it's not one of our external solutions. It's not an external solution that we craft or that we find within us. It's an external solution that comes from looking outside of ourselves and looking to Christ. And when we look to Christ, we find the internal solution for our internal problem. And this is why Jesus came. He came to give us new hearts. When you trusted in Jesus, you were given a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Ezekiel, right? I will give them a new heart. I will remove, Jeremiah 33, I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So how is it that we deal with our defilement? How is it that we have any hope that we will not experience punishment and death and eternal condemnation? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be reassured of that. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're resting in what He did on the cross, that He died for you in your place and took the punishment for your sins, I want you to know the Scriptures, the Word of God assures you that you have been forgiven, cleansed, declared righteous, Adopted into God's family, your defiled heart has been cleansed. Now, I know you still wrestle. That, that healing has not been fully completed. But I assure you, the internal problem of your unclean heart has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't really see a need to trust in Jesus. I don't think my heart's really that bad. I, I, don't, I, I think I can get along without it. I hope that you see the logical inconsistency of that position. I hope you see that you are not pure by any stretch of the imagination. I hope you see the fallacy and the foolishness of trusting your own heart, which is the same heart that in one second you will slander someone, but then in the next second you'll trust that same heart. If you have to stand before a holy God. Maybe you don't believe there's a God. Maybe all of this just seems like foolishness to you. And you say, as long as people don't hurt each other. And as long as we all get along. And as long as I'm nice to you, you're nice to me. I try to do what's best for you. You try to do what's best for me. Why do we even need this religion? 
Well, let me ask you, where do you even get that notion that if I just do what's good for you and you do what's good for me? Where, where do you get that from? How do you even get to define what that good is? That's good for you and good for me. What if my good for you is not what you think is good for you? You see, what you've done is you've actually done exactly what the Pharisees do. You create this external definition and you say, if I live by this standard, this will be good enough. Jesus says the same thing. That external solution will not work. So, as we come to a time of response and invitation... I invite you to respond as the Lord leads. Maybe, maybe the Lord is, is pleading with you to rest and be assured in the promises of the gospel that you have been forgiven, cleansed, made new, despite how you may have... Maybe you've looked at your heart in the, in the last week and you are utterly amazed at how defiled it is. You read this text and you hear about defilement of heart and you go, that is me to a T. Maybe you read that and you think... People would be ashamed to know how defiled my heart is. Understand, Jesus came for that very purpose. That your defiled heart might be made clean. Trust in Him. Maybe you need to respond this morning by trusting in Him for the first time. Maybe you see that your heart really is deceitful and wicked and cannot be trusted. And you know that if you were to stand before God today, you would fall woefully short of the perfection required to be in God's presence. I want you to know, Jesus is inviting you, pleading, asking, saying, Come, come you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can be saved and cleansed today. Or maybe it's something else. I'll be down here at the front if you need prayer, counsel. I'd be happy to do that with you. But let's take a moment and respond to the preaching of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise that Jesus gives us, Lord, of great cleansing and healing, not just for our, our physical bodies, but Lord, for our spiritual need that we are sinners. God, we are separated from you because of our sin, but what glorious and great news that Jesus Christ himself came, bridged the gap by living a perfect life, dying on the cross in our place, rising again, such that that good news can be proclaimed among the nations, that if we trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, we are made right with you. Our hearts are cleansed. And we experience the assurance. Not because of the status of our heart. Our assurance is not in some perceived ratio of defilement to non-defilement. Our assurance is Christ who is our perfect sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, work now as you see fit in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.